I don't remember how I got here, but honestly, I don't have a lot of time to figure it out. Once I realized that I was trapped in a box with seemingly no air holes, I had to decide quickly whether to deplete all of the oxygen in the box by panicking or to begin the breathing exercises I learned in therapy. My screams for help were useless as I seemed to have lost my voice completely, probably because the air is so thin and dry in here. I don't have my phone on me, so calling for help or even creating a light in here was a no-go. All I can do right now is breathe. So that's what I'm doing, very slowly. I'm inhaling for six seconds, holding for three, and exhaling for six. I can feel my heart rate dropping and my body is relaxing, but now all I can think about is where the hell am I? I don't know how or why I'm in this box. I don't know what I was doing or where I was before I was put in this box. I'm laying flat on my back, but I don't have much room to move or stretch. I would literally waste a wish right now if it meant I could bend to touch my toes. I really hate being confined. I'm the person that takes the stairs instead of an elevator. I don't like being tucked into bed, and I can't even look at a pair of Spanx without getting hives. I don't like tight spaces or feeling like I can't breathe, and currently, I'm dealing with both. I've had a chance to feel around the box, and there is a little space for me to wiggle around, but to be honest, I really don't want this to be true. I feel like I'm in a coffin. There's only a little over a foot of space in this box, and I have some room above my head and below my feet. I can't move my arms to the side, but I can bring them slightly above my head if I bend at the elbow. I'm able to sit up into a crunched position, but it's not comfortable or satisfying. There is no light coming through this box. It's very dark and my eyes aren't adjusting. I really hate when it's dark because I tend to see things or feel like there's something there that shouldn't be. This might be because I suffer from sleep paralysis. Some nights I wake up and can't move or speak and standing in front of me or over me are these terrifying figures. They have long oval faces and skinny dangling bodies. Sometimes I can hear them making this chattering sound like you would with your teeth if you were cold. I try to squirm around enough to wake up my husband so he can help me out of this state. And when he does wake up, the figures instantly disappear and my body can relax. On the nights he doesn't wake up, I usually resort to just closing my eyes and waiting for the feeling to pass. And it always does. Initially, I thought I was having another sleep paralysis moment, but no, I'm actually trapped in a coffin-like box and I have no idea why. The box feels like unfinished wood. The lid feels rough on my hands as I try to press it open with no give. I'm going to need more force if I want to lift the lid or break the wood. I have to use my legs and feet to feel the wood around my lower half. I can feel a slope in the lid near my knee. It's heavy when my knee tries to push it up, so something must be on top of the box. There is a similar bend by my feet. 
Maybe I can kick it enough to splinter the wood. From there, I can probably use my hands and legs to break through. Although now I can just add what's on top of the box to the new list of fears. I have some space to kick my feet right where the bend is. It doesn't take me too long before the wood splinters. This is a relief, but I can feel something pouring into the box by my feet now. It's too dark to tell, but yep, it feels like dirt. I'm now fairly certain that my worst fear has come true. I've been buried alive. Here's the thing. From what I can gather, I'm wearing a t-shirt, yoga pants, ankle socks, and Converse sneakers. This outfit is totally me, but I, I don't think my family would dress me so casually for my funeral. I also don't remember dying, but I guess I wouldn't. Maybe I was murdered and the killer dumped my body to hide the evidence, but didn't realize I wasn't dead. But who would want me dead? I hope my husband is all right. When the wife goes missing or turns up dead, they always suspect the husband. He wouldn't have done this. If he thought he killed me, he would probably be in this box with me. But it doesn't matter how I got in this box. What matters is getting out before I suffocate. Before I start kicking and pulling apart the wood, I need to put a mask over my face or I'm going to choke or suffocate on the way out of this hole. I don't know how far down I am. Maybe it's only a few inches, but it could be a full six feet or more. I need to act quickly before the dirt breaks through the box and then I'm just crushed to death anyway. I'm able to bend my arms at the elbow and place my hands onto my shoulders. And now I can start to pull my shirt up. I have to do a partial sit-up to get the rest of the shirt up over my head. By tying the bottom of the shirt into a knot and putting my neck back through the neck hole with the knot on top of my head, I've created a face covering that keeps dirt out, but I can still breathe through. I'm now kicking the lid with my feet and knees, which causes the lid to crack and splinter. I can rip the wood apart with my hands now. As I'm doing this, more dirt is coming in now, but I can push it down toward my feet and along my sides. Once I get the lid out of the way of my upper body, I can now sit up, continuing to push the dirt in the empty spaces I leave behind. Wiggling my arms and body, I'm able to stand straight up. I'm imagining myself moving like a worm through the dirt, though I'm really trying to refrain from imagining worms actually in the dirt. I'm moving my arms over my head. It's a weird feeling moving around like this. Not a bad or good, just weird. I feel almost weightless. The dirt is cold and feels wet against my skin. I thought it would be harder to move through, but I almost feel like I'm swimming. As if I could use my legs and just kick my way up to the surface. I'm starting to get really tired, and the thought of sleeping sounds so nice. Oh God. Something just moved through my hand. I'm awake. Okay. I must be running out of air. I need to make it to the surface now. I'm continuing to wiggle my body, trying to pull with my hands and push and climb with my feet. I can now feel the air with my right hand. I'm almost there. It feels like it's raining. The water feels so good. I can't wait to get my head out and drink the rain. Oh gosh, my throat hurts so badly. I can hear voices coming. I can't make out what they are saying since my head is still underground, but their voices are familiar. 
My right arm is fully out now. They surely can see me. I don't have time for them to pull me out though, so I manage with all my strength to get my left arm free and then pull my body out of the ground. I try to take a deep breath in, but it's difficult. My throat is so sore. It's almost like my tonsils are swollen and I can't fully open my throat to get the air in. I try breathing through my nose, but that only makes me cough. I quickly realize that the shirt I was using as a mask is still over my face, probably making it harder to breathe. I rip it off and it's like the lights just turned on. But now, I wish I could turn them off. I didn't climb out of my own grave. I was never trapped in a coffin six feet under, but I would take that horror over this one. Instead, I am naked, floating in a vat of fluid with a hose stuck down my throat, staring at two dark figures with long oval faces and skinny dangling bodies, wearing lab coats, and making that chattering sound I have heard so many times before. I wish my husband was able to wake me up, but seeing as he's floating in the vat across from me, I don't think this nightmare is going to end. I'm Leslie. I'm Holly. And we would be dead. had to like look at my lap <laughs> the whole time my phone is not on I was looking at the lenses on my camera just like look at something just look at anything <laughs> ew I did it you, I scared Holly <laughs> you know I can't wear Spanx because I'm a friend that claustrophobic I know <laughs> that is a real fact about me <laughs> <laughs> If anybody else has that really weird problem, please tell us. Yeah. Because I think it's just me. I also can't stand to have my face covered. Yeah. <laughs> Masks were a huge adjustment for me. I'm sure. It was not little. It was, like, really hard for me. <laughs> Ew. Guys. Mm. Hey, Holly. Hey, Leslie. <laughs> hey, Fiends. Ew. Oh, man. This week, Leslie's going to get her just revenge. Yes. And scare me. Oh, no. So, um, just as a precursor, I haven't written a single word this week. This is all Leslie. And I'm just going to sit here and you're going to listen to me make noises that I held in during the opening. <laughs> <laughs> It was really hard to not make sense. I did make one sound, and yeah. John's going to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember why. He said something, and I was like, okay, yeah. I can't. <laughs> nope. Nope. All right. Well, yeah, we'll get through this 
to our little business really quick so that you can get down Perfect. to uh, the story. So yeah, um, I didn't write this down this it's week. It's cool. We had our live show. Yes, we did. Thank you to everyone who came out to our live show. Thank you to Cape May Brewing Company. Yes. How fun was that? I mean, it was. That was so fun. Costumes were great. Yeah, you guys. Everybody looked awesome. We had a great time dressing up. Mm-hmm. It really was super fun. I hope we can do it again. Um, and everything should be a costume event forever. Yeah, costumes are so fun. And I, I liked the glasses. <laughs> They were really fun. <laughs> they came out. They came out good. We had, man, that was a struggle to yeah. get there. Leslie mm-hmm. ended up making them herself. So <laughs> she learned. It wasn't to like pat on my back or anything. They no. just, I'm just so thankful that they came out. So there's a, there's a glass that's on our, on our Instagram mm-hmm. and there's only one of those yeah. that ever made it because uh, the engraving machine broke like two days before the event. Whatever it was. Yeah. yeah and. We didn't, we found out so late and mm-hmm. it was just like, Leslie did magic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm a cricketeer now. You, a cricketeer. <laughs> yeah. That's what you are. <laughs> I love it. But I learned to engrave. You sure did in a hurry too. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. So yeah, enjoy those glasses. If you um, didn't get a VIP pass and you really like them, I'm sure when Leslie has a <laughs> Well, a lot of free time on her hands. <laughs> She'll make some more, and we'll sell them online. Yeah. Maybe, maybe for Christmas at some point in time, we'll have a limited run of them. Yeah, um, but yeah, they're super cool. You should check them out. Um, if you like us, you should head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five star rating and or a friendly review. It's really the only way to move this podcast forward and to allow us to do super cool things like our live show, which really. It only happened because of you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to do more. And we want to come to you. I know there are so many uh, really dedicated, awesome fiends we have out there in the world who don't live close enough to come to our live events. We would love to come to you. So put those reviews in so that we can make those kind of things happen. If you would like um, a little more We Would Be Dead in Your Life, you can support us on Patreon, where for just a little monthly donation, you will get extra weekly content. We have our weekly after show host mortem that's video so you get to see our faces too we do patron mini sews we have our patrons only podcast 30 minute horror movies you get sometimes special offers on our merchandise a live um not live an on-air toast dedicated just to you and there's always more I think that was all the things for Patreon. Yeah. Uh, and if all of that was a little bit too much for you, then you can simply share any of our social media content to your social media feed. Uh, tell your friend. Tell your neighbor. Tell your friend's neighbor. <laughs> What's their name? That's Pam. That's, that's Pam. That's Pam. I like that Pam made a comeback this yeah. episode <laughs> and the teeth chattering from the Denver Spider-Man <laughs> came yeah. back. so uh, then tell all those people then your friends and Pam and we love Pam can become fiends and we can all hang out together yeah I think think that is all the news I have oh um our 100th episode is just 10 weeks away Mm -hmm. this is I believe episode 90 yeah which is bananas and um if you are in our Facebook group we do have like a little suggestion box for that and once we narrow it down we're going to um, let our patrons vote, I think, yes. for the final, mm-hmm. for what we're, our 100th episode is going to be. And we're going to take on something big. I volunteered to do something that would take me a lot of time. So think think big cases. Think 
John Wayne Gacy or Jim Jones or like things like that. Anything big that you wanted to hear us do, stick it into that feed or I'll make another one and you can put a suggestion and um, we'll see what we can bring you. And don't say John JonBenet Ramsey because I'm going to do it in December anyway. <laughs> I promise it last December I will deliver this one. Perfect. And I think that's it. Okay. Do you have anything else before we begin? No, I'm just ready to scare you. No. All right, then take it away. On with the show. So today I am telling the true story of Whitley Stryber's alien abduction, or his visitor abduction. Ugh, (laughs) fucking communion! (laughs) So Whitley never refers to the aliens um, as aliens. He always calls them visitors um, or non-human beings sometimes. So he doesn't reveal himself as lying. Yeah, because mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't um, assume that he knows is basically it. Oh God. Yeah. So some of you may be familiar with his story if you read the book Communion, A True Story. The book covers have a, a picture of the visitor, and it looks like the like the grays, the aliens. It looks that we like call those grays. fucking onion head things that I hate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has gray skin with those big black eyes and like a pizza shaped face, and then a long thin neck with Blah. tight lips and a thin nose with the nostrils facing forward. You know what I'm talking about, right, Holly? Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> they're fucking almond eyes and they're onion head, and they don't have a nose. These have holes in their face. I hate them. They're so ugly. They're cute. They're not cute. They're just ugly and skinny and terrifying. hate them. So, (laughs) here we go. Whitley Stryber was and still is an American writer. He was born on June 13, 1945 in San Antonio, Texas, to parents Kathleen Mary and Carl Stryber, and his dad worked as a lawyer. Mm. Whitley. (laughs) I just hate everybody. I have a fleece blanket up to my nose right now. She (laughs) does. Whitley attended Central Catholic High School in San Antonio and is still a practicing Catholic today. He graduated at the University of Texas in Austin and the London School of Film Technique in 1968. He then worked for several advertising firms in New York City, becoming vice president for a few years before leaving in 1977 to pursue a writing career. He began his career strongly with the horror novels The Wolfen from 1978 and The Hunger in 1981, both of which were made into feature films. No, I don't know those. His next two novels, Black Magic, 1982, and The Night Church in 1983, were less successful. Mm. He quickly switched gears and he found an interest in writing speculative fiction with social conscience. (laughs) Oh. Quite a... Like, little title there. Mm-hmm. His next several stories were um, more about, like, nuclear warfare and the damaging environmental and social aftermath. Quite a switch. Okay. And in 1985, Whitley was in the process of writing a two-volume novel based on the relationship between Russia and America at the outset of the Russian Revolution. What? I don't what know. is this guy's life? I but don't know. Those are his interests. Yeah. Oh, man. Sometime between his birth and 1985, Whitley met and married a lovely lady named Anne, who was a school teacher, and the two had a son named Andrew, and they also had cats. Good for them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so now we're all caught up, and I can just get into aliens. Here we go. December 26, 1985. Right before my birthday? How dare you? <laughs> oh, that's true. This happens on your birthday. On the 27th? Uh-huh. Ew, come on. Sorry, Hallie. 
It's a day to remember. December 26, 1985, started like any other day for the Strybers. The family of three were staying in their isolated cabin in upstate New York in Ulster County for the holidays. Whitley, his wife Anne, and their son Andrew, who was seven at the time, spent the day sledding, cross-country skiing, and enjoying Christmas dinner leftovers. They had Christmas goose. Oh, man, they're old-timey. That evening, the family relaxed by listening to music and reading— and by 8.30, everyone was ready for bed. They're super old-timey. It's 1985, and they're like, I'm going to read a book and listen to a record and yeah. go to bed at 8.30. I know. Okay. It's, like, weird because then they kind of don't, like, fall asleep till 11.30. So I think, like, Whitley and Anne were just— kind of weird family are you? Enjoying their time up there. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> That's what I think was happening. <laughs> they were like, son, we're going to bed early. We're retiring to the bedroom. Good night. It's 8.30. <laughs> That's what we're doing, going to sleep. <laughs> Days like this one had been rare for the Strybers. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Since early October, Anne had been worried and frustrated with her husband, Whitley, who would have these bouts of anger, depression, and paranoia for seemingly no reason. She chalked most of it up to stress at work, though she really had no idea what his issue was, and neither did Whitley. Whitley may have been feeling stressed from his editors to deliver something good in his next novel, but he felt pretty inspired with what he was working on, and his Christmas holiday was pleasant, and he welcomed the break. So on this particular night, everything was going well. Oh, I know what was wrong. It's alien ass rape. <laughs> Anne and Andrew headed to their rooms while Whitley locked up the cabin. He had recently installed a full-blown security alarm system in the cabin, so he turned that on and then went around the house to check closets and under the beds to be sure there were no intruders. And it wasn't it wasn't that the cabin was in a dangerous area or anything. They didn't have issues with intruders before, uh, but this routine had just become a habit for Whitley within like the last couple months. You curious why, Holly? No. <laughs> All seemed well, so Whitley met Anne in bed, and everyone was asleep by 11.30. So they went to bed at 8.30. Yeah, what's well, that dark period of time? Even if it took him an hour to lock up and check <laughs> under beds and in closets. He locked up for four hours. Yeah. <laughs> they were doing some things. <laughs> okay. Andrew, you have a little brother. <laughs> I mean, a little alien brother. Yeah. That comes out of an ass. <laughs> I can't. Whitley woke up the next morning feeling no more groggy than usual. He remembered during the night waking up and seeing a barn owl staring at him through the window. It was all very strange, but so clear that it had actually happened. He told Anne that night as he stared out of the cabin window into the woods, but she agreed that it was probably a dream. She was like, okay, Whitley, like, there ain't no owls in here. <laughs> There's an owl staring at you? Gross. Yeah. Whitley also, he mentions this in his book. He, like, says some things in his books and then, like, doesn't mention them again, like, in interviews. But he he feels the need to say that he had to call his friend in California about seeing this bar now. Why? I don't know. But he called her that night maybe just as, like, a witness account of, like, remember I called you that night and talked to you about this, Al? What a weird fucking thing to do. Yeah. In the following days, Anne noticed a dramatic personality change in Whitley again. She was like, ugh, here we go again with his attitude and suspicions. Mm. But this time he was being a dick to both her and their son. Oh, no, no, no. that was an issue. Yeah, that's no bueno. Whitley couldn't get the image of the owl out of his mind. He was mostly just like short-tempered. It wasn't like he was being 
like horrible. He was right. just like short tempered for him generally being a calm man. I should I should point okay. out. So he wasn't violent or anything like that. He just was like he was just weird. Like he was always checking things and felt like he had to like look behind his shoulder and then like his son might ask him a question and he'd just be quick with him. Like snappy. Snappy. Yeah. Also like if you guys don't understand the distinction of Barnell, I believe, is the one that has the white yeah. face with the very like inset eyes that has like the big dark prominent eyes and the really white like flat kind of face it's Mm -hmm. not it doesn't look like Hedwig or like other owls it has like a weird off Mm -hmm. off off-putting face right Whitley couldn't get the image of the owl off his mind obviously because it's a weird looking face Mm -hmm. but other images would start to flood his brain images of lots of insect looking creatures filling his room and grabbing at him nope these memories would make him feel extremely uncomfortable, and instead of feeling safe to talk to his wife about it, he would just be short-tempered. He was now having physical ailments, too. He would sporadically get the chills and feel extremely tired, though he never had a fever. He never felt rested, and no matter how much sleep he was getting, he was noticeably uncomfortable sitting because of rectal pain. Maybe from <sighs> falling off his skis or off the sled, but no one has memory of that. I told you. An infection had developed in his right forefinger. It looked like maybe he had gotten a splinter, though he didn't recall getting one and he had no evidence of a splinter in his finger, and neither iodine nor antibiotic ointment seemed to be healing it. And about a week later, a spot on his head started hurting him, and the skin around the area was sensitive. And when Anne looked at it, she could tell there was like this like little pinpoint of a scab. Whitley was growing more and more concerned about his his condition and the images of bright lights, unfamiliar rooms, and little gray insect-looking beings surrounding him. Ew. When they were back home, Whitley made an appointment with his doctor. He told his doctor what was going on, and the doctor said that they would order an MRI to rule out, like, a brain tumor. Well, the bug thing, that's, like, a symptom of other things, like— that a sensation that there are bugs everywhere is like a real psychiatric ailment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that might have been like, oh, this is something we can help. Right. Mm-hmm. So they ordered the MRI for the brain tumor, but then he also referred Whitley to a psychologist. And the MRI results came back negative, and after a few days, his symptoms would also start to subside. But the memories were only growing and scaring him more. In an interview that I listened to, Whitley said that he ended up seeing a psychiatrist who ran a bunch of different psychological tests. None of the tests discovered anything unusual, though. Whitley was sure he was having a psychotic break, but his doctors weren't so sure. But these doctors also weren't convinced that he was seeing a UFO, you know, or aliens, for that matter. Visitors. On January 3rd, 1986, a local newspaper published accounts of an object or objects being sighted in the area the Strivers were staying. The paper wrote it as a hoax, but the locals weren't so convinced. A lot of locals had noticed, like, this flying object as well. Yuck. Anne showed Whitley the paper and said, You said this would happen. You were talking about this last week. Whitley was like, What? I don't remember telling you anything. But now Whitley was feeling a little more comfortable talking to his wife about it because he had seen the doctor and nothing was wrong. And he was like, something's going on. And now, you know, she mentioned that he had even said like, hey, we might be seeing something. Yikes. So he told her about what happened during the early morning hours of the 27th from what he could recall. So Ann and Whitley started researching and found that there were loads of other UFO sightings in that area that go back nearly 50 years. 
Mm-hmm. Anne and Whitney would gather some accounts from their neighbors and friends in the area and ended up hearing a ton of similar sightings of huge objects covered in lights hovering and flying over the area, though no one seemed to have experienced the same symptoms as Whitley. And then he would continue to get these, like some people would come out like a year or so later that were maybe more prominent in the community and were like, I just didn't want to say anything, but I did see like this big bright light. Like I heard somebody screaming, and but I just couldn't handle it, so I ran, and now I'm wondering if that was you. Like, <laughs> Ew. Yeah. So during their research, Whitley and Anne came across the name Bud Hopkins, a prominent researcher in the, Uf- in the field of UFO sightings and alien abduction accounts. Very conveniently, Bud's home address was only like a 10-minute walk from the Whitley's home in New York City. Who knew? I know. So Whitley called Bud and told him everything, uh, told him everything that he could, which at the time wasn't much, but enough for Bud to immediately visit with Whitley to further discuss. And I think he took Anne with him at this point. Bud told Whitley that he was not a therapist, but could recommend several. He specifically wanted Whitley to see a, actually, he wanted Whitley to um, get hypnotized and he wanted to do it himself. And Whitley was like, um, no, I'm going to see like an actual hypnotist, like a doctor. Yeah, I <laughs> He's think like, so. Wait, so who lives in New York City? Sorry, so Whitley, that's where he lives, him and he the family. He thought he saw a barn owl in no, no, New no, no, York no. City? No. So they live in New York City, but okay. they were at their cabin in oh, upstate New York. okay. Sorry. I was that's confused my, for a yeah, That's okay. So yeah, so now they're back in their so, city apartment. So they came back from this cabin and they're yep. in the city. Okay. Yep. And then they just go back and forth a lot. Okay. They're like, always go to that cabin. Before leaving, Bud asked Whitley if he could remember anything else from that night or even from the past. Whitley took a moment to think, expecting his answer to be like, no, of course not, I've told you everything. But instead, he blurted out that he remembers a night the cabin burnt down, but that it didn't burn down. Maybe another dream he was remembering. Yeah, I think we'd know if the whole thing had burnt down. Right, he was like, when the cabin burnt down, but wait, it like didn't burn down. It was like weird. It was a weird memory that like shot in his head. But, of course, asked him to explain. Yeah. <laughs> like, please. what are you saying, sir? And all Whitley could recall at, the, at that time was that one night in early October 1985, there had been a loud sound that woke up the whole household. And it wasn't until now that he remembered it happening. But luck would have it. This time, it wasn't just his family in the house. They had guests staying with them, which oh. meant he now had witnesses that could confirm or deny his story. Oh, shit. So Bud told Whitley to figure out why he had blocked that out of his memory uh, from October and to talk to the others who were in the house to find out what they remember. Bud had a hunching suspicion that whatever happened in October might be connected to what happened in December. So remember when I told you Anne had first noticed Whitley having, like, his attitude problems back in October? This might explain why. Okay, so he's being weird after this. Got it. After speaking with Bud, Whitley started to think about think more about the night of October. It was October 4th, and he and the family drove up to the cabin with two close friends, Jacques Sandulescu and Annie Gottlebs. Great names. Yeah, man. <laughs> the Strivers had known the couple for five years. They were both writers. You can look them up. I think Jacques is actually an actor, too. Do they Jacques- write about aliens? No, they do, like, other things. Okay, then I— Jacques actually—so he—okay, uh, well, so Jacques had written a memoir car- called— uh, Dombas, a story about his escape from slave labor in Russia. Jesus. So this is where I think Whitley became friends with him and was writing this like Russian okay. thing. Like oh. he was connected. Yeah. Okay. It no. made it made more sense to me when I was like, oh, he's like clearly friends with somebody writing some more serious stories and he has this like connection. And This guy was like a slave in Russia? 
Yeah, like slave labor in Russia. Ooh. And then I, I think he's like an actor now. I mean, good for him yeah. for getting out of that situation, but wow, that's brutal. Mm-hmm. And Annie was a freelance writer specializing in psychology, and she has like some fun books that she like writes. Okay. That night, the five of them went out to dinner, and once they were home, they all settled in feeling pretty tired. Whitley turned on the pool heater so that it would be warm for the next day for a swim and lit a fire in the wood stove to keep them warm overnight. After the long day of traveling and going out to eat, it wasn't long before everyone decided to go to bed. Whitley and Anne headed upstairs to their bedroom. Jacques and Annie went to the guest room and closed the door. And Andrew went to his corner bedroom next to Jacques and Annie. I thought you were going to say he went to his corner. (laughs) (laughs) He went to his corner. Like he spends the night in a corner. I just, he always, he always says that. So I just kept it in because I also read it that way the first time. And I was like, such a weird, like he just just went to the room next door. But I guess they were just trying to say it was like two bedrooms. They just keep the kid in the corner all the time. Blair Witch style. He can just hang in the corner. He's just staring at the wall. I wonder they're seeing things. This is not a, this is a weird house. <laughs> Whitley remembers falling asleep and then waking up two to three hours later and seeing a bright blue light coming into the house. No. And it like lit up the whole house like it was daytime. Okay. He remembers trying to rationalize what the light could be. His first thought was that the wood stove like caught fire and, and like caught fire to the roof like Ooh. like flecks were coming up. So he's like, oh my God, everything's on fire. So like any sane person... He fell back asleep. <laughs> <laughs> the house is burning down. I, I'm tired. Mm, um, but I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, French Canada. <laughs> <laughs> but then there was a loud explosive sound that woke him that woke him back up, but this time his wife was awake too and like screaming. <laughs> I guess I gotta yeah. get up now. And Andrew could be heard shouting from his room too. He was like yelling, the "Get bl- me out of the corner!" <laughs> <laughs> Whitley yelled to his wife that the roof was on fire because he was like woke back. He was like, "Oh shit! Like the roof's on fire!" Did she say, I fell back asleep. "We don't need no water. Let the motherfucker burn." That's the next line. Oh. <laughs> I knew it. So we ran down the stairs and got halfway across the room before the glow just suddenly disappeared. And then, yeah. very confused. Whitley met Jacques in the hall, who, like, he came out of the room because he was also heard this sound. So Jacques is lucid and freaking out, too. Yeah. Okay. And so he comes out in the hall, and I think Annie is, like, kind of behind him, too. She's, <laughs> like, dizzy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so the light just goes out, and Whitley's just like, nope, I guess everything's fine. We're good. Really? Go back to bed. And they, they were, were like, like, check, okay. please. We all have to leave? No. They were just like, everything's fine. I have no sympathy for these people. So he checked on his son, who was sleeping and not yelling, which is weird, right? Yeah, definitely weird. He gave him a hug because he was just like, I don't know what just happened, but I, I feel like I need to hug you now. Yeah. And then he went back to bed. And so did every, everyone else went to sleep. They- Would you have gone back to bed? This, But here's the thing, because the light went out, and I think they just kind of forgot. Okay. So something there there might be lost time. Okay. All right. I mean, I'll go on that. Yeah. That line of thinking with you because especially because if the son was screaming and now he's just asleep, oh, there's that. lost time. There has to be lost time. I hate it. <sighs> so that morning, the crew woke up, and other than Annie mentioning that Jacques had a hard time sleeping because of the brightness in their room, no one seemed to remember all the commotion. Great. 
about a week later, Whitley started ha- started to have flashes and memories about that night. He remembered the bright light and the loud sound. And then he remembered seeing a huge crystal floating outside his window above, like just above the end of the cabin. Okay. Hundreds of feet tall and flowing with unearthly blue light. A crystal hundreds of feet tall. It just looked like a crystal. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Mm-hmm. He told his wife, his wife about it, and she brushed it off like it was a dream. She was like, "Okay, Whitley, like, what are you talking about? You just you're having wild dreams. Just yeah, relax. That sounds like a wild dream. <laughs> that must have been when he just decided to put it out of his brain, like just shut it off and be like, "Okay, I'm getting weird." But also, this is clearly when he started to have like paranoia of like people coming into his yeah. house. So, did he see more? We don't know. Like Ew. at this point. So this was all Whitley could remember on his own. He wrote it all down in his journal and then started questioning the others in the house. His wife, Annie, was first. He asked her, sorry, his wife, Anne. So Annie's the other woman, but Anne is his wife. The other woman? The, uh, was Jacques. Oh, okay. The writer. I thought maybe there was another woman. (laughs) This is why he was acting up. Exactly. He was paranoid. He's like, she knows. So his wife, Anne, was first. He asked her what, if anything, she can remember about their October trip to the cabin. She reminds him about the bang that woke them up, and she remembers it being October 4th because that's when Jack and Annie came with them. Okay. Uh, Whitley asked her about seeing any light, but she doesn't remember that. She just remembers the bang. Hmm. Whitley then asked their son, Andrew, and again, he's like a seven. Oh, man, you know? I feel like it's going to get weird with the kid. Andrew also remembers it as the night. (laughs) He also remembers it as the night of the bang sound. Okay. But Andrew also added Uh a bunch of tiny, I'm going to say in his kid voice. Ew. A bunch of people told me it was okay. You just threw your shoe at a fly. Whitley was like, well, uh, what? What happened? (laughs) A bunch of people told you what? That's so specific. (laughs) Just a bunch of people, people who were around. Whitley told him to elaborate. Yeah. And then Andrew said to his father, I dreamed that a bunch of little doctors took me out on the porch and put me on a cot. I got scared and they started saying, we won't hurt you over and over in my head. (gasps) That is my strangest dream because it was just like it was real. It happened in the middle of another dream when I was dreaming that me and Ezra were in a boat. Ezra is his, like, friend. Little doctors. Little doctors everywhere. <laughs> so that's all about Whitley got from his son for the time being. He was a little oh, turned. Yeah? Uh-huh. Uh, then he called Jacques and Annie. Jacques said he remembers the bright light. It was so bright that he thought he had overslept and it was like 10 a.m. the next day. Mm-hmm. Annie recalled waking up to the loud bang and hearing the scurry of little feet running across Whitley and Annie's bedroom. <laughs> she goes on to say that she just assumed the cats had knocked something over and ran off. Whitley told Annie that they didn't bring their cats with them. They never do. No, thank you. She laughed, not thinking it was a big deal, and then she that she heard tiny little feet running that, around the no room big above deal. her. That's fine. <laughs> oh, no. She also remembers the light that Jack was complaining about, but wasn't alarmed after the light went out and she heard Whitley yell in the hall that everything was fine. <laughs> 12 o'clock, all is well. <laughs> all is not well. <laughs> That's our next t-shirt. <laughs> it's not well. I would wear that all the time. 
But the weirdest part was in the morning when Whitley told her about the large crystal ball. She figured it was just part of a dream. And this part is what unsettled Whitley the most because it wasn't until recently that he remembered the bright, huge crystal ball hovering over the cabin, and he doesn't remember ever telling Annie about it. But now he has confirmation that everyone heard a bang, most of them saw a bright light, and that he had seen a huge crystal in the sky, whether it was a dream or reality, and, like, possibly something happened to his son. (laughs) Tiny people were in his house with his son. Yeah. After discussing all this with his wife, they weren't surprised anymore as to why he had been starting to act weird and fearing intruders. But was it simply a dream, or did Whitley and Andrew both see and experience something more terrifying? And why couldn't they remember? I would be like, our house has a gas leak. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> what is happening that we're all, is there like lead paint? Right. What's going on that everyone's hallucinating? <laughs> So now Whitley decided to see a hypnotist, but Hopkins again offered up his services, but Whitley said, like, no, I'll go to an actual doctor. Didn't, didn't like, check for environmental yeah. um, things like I would, but, no. you know, whatever. Hypnotists, <laughs> that's also good. Yes. So they found Do- Dr. Donald Klein of the New York State Psychiatric Institute. Dr. Klein had come highly recommended and had been doing great work within the field. He's, like, a very popular, one okay. of the top. Like, Sounds legit. Top in the world for this. Okay. And I will say, so I listened to several interviews with Whitley, um, and he does, he doesn't always say this in the book. I don't think he said it really in the book, but he did go to a lot of doctors. Like he was seeing his, you know, like their family doctor, and then he was seeing like psychologists and talking to them. And so there was just a lot of people that saw that there was like clearly something wrong, but they couldn't. There also was nothing wrong with him, too, at the same time. Hypnosis is also hotly contested, and so yes. are, are repressed memories. A lot of times people think that psychologists can implant them in your brain, not like scientifically, but by mm-hmm. suggestion they can make you remember things. So, so this is— Yes, so this is what he says. So their first meeting was three hours long, and it was mostly just them getting to know each other and Whitley explaining— all that he could remember. There were so many pieces missing and the story wasn't making much sense. Dr. Klein told him to take his time and really think, uh, to really think about it. But most of Whitley's memories were just flashes that didn't make much sense. So they scheduled their first hypnosis session. And Whitley would like to be very honest in telling us that he knows people can lie under hypnosis. He knows doctors can lead their patients. Okay. But he supplied us with the full transcripts of what happened in order to prove that these were real memories he was unlocking and to even, like, the credibility of his doctors. Like, And I will say the transcripts from what especially Dr. Klein does is very good. He doesn't lead him into anything. He may ask, like, a question, like, go back, what was that? Yeah. Like, something, you know— um, whereas Bud Hopkins will sometimes go in and he'll, because Bud Hopkins will be present during these. Uh, oh. And he definitely tries to lead. Yeah. But Dr. Klein and even Whitley will tell him basically to like shut up. <laughs> Interesting that somebody else was present. Yeah. That's not usually the. It's protocol weird that they brought hypnosis. them in. I think that Whitley was like, I'm interested to have Bud in, in there to hear these because, but mostly just to be an observer. Like you can come and hear what's going on. Just because, like, you are, if this is an alien and UFO thing, you are, like, the person that knows all this stuff. That's interesting. Just because, like, if a psychologist is hypnotizing you, it usually has to be, like, just the two of you. Yeah. You can't have, like, a friend that comes because that's another 
you're aware yeah. of the other person in the room. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just interesting. Not, mm-hmm. Nothing I've ever like heard of before. So, if you are all interested, uh, the the full transcripts are in his book, uh, Communion: A True Story. <laughs> Never. And you can also listen to them. He has the audio up on his website on unknowncountry.com. You guys can tell me all about it because I'll never be <laughs> reading or listening to any of that. It's fine. I'm going to tell you now. Great. In their first session, Dr. Klein has Whitley discuss what happened on October 4th, the night that started and ended pretty much as I've already told you. But luckily, Whitley was unable to unlock more. Oh, great. They did have a visitor that night. Of course they did. A small, grayish being with a big head and a large slant and large slanted black eyes. He had two of them. It came into his room and placed something on his front lobe that made a squeaking smack sound that felt like stuff was being pulled out of his head. At the same time, images of the end of the world were flashing before his eyes. He was seeing images of the earth on fire and chaos and even exploding. It was like he was watching the world ending. He kept trying to ask the visitors what they wanted, but wasn't getting any responses. Then the visitor was holding up this silver ruler-sized needle in the air. Nope. And it sparked, and that's what made the loud bang sound. Nope. And that was all he could remember from that night. Needles. The second session was a week later, and they discussed December 26th and the early morning of the 27th. So, here we go, Holly. No. <laughs> you ready? There's going to be needles. I hate it. The following account is a mixture of Whitley's memory and of the abduction before the hypnosis and then during the hypnosis. I tried my best, so the the book is a little tough. It's a little tough. It was hard to tell if he just had like a story of what he could remember before he got hypnotized and then here's what happened during the hip hypnosis and then like almost years later from me listening like his later interviews of him being able to almost piece the story together because there were some things that it sounded like happened that didn't that he never talks about again as like actually happening so Hmm. it's it's interesting but I've tried to piece it all together from all of the inconsistencies yeah just everything that's out there right now okay and there's still so much more but this is we're mostly talking about 1985 okay okay so Dr. Klein has Whitley go through the events of that day he talks about sledding and cross-country skiing and then going home to eat his Christmas goose dinner. (laughs) So weird. He mentions locking up the house and looking in the closets and under the bed. Dr. Klein asked if his wife or son were aware of this habit, and he said that they weren't. He was embarrassed to tell them that he was that scared. He then tells Dr. Klein he bought a gun in October for protection, and this is also something that he had kept from his wife. Oh, my God. A secret gun? I don't like that. I don't like it either. Yikes. So now the house is locked up and he goes to bed. He is awakened to hear someone in the house, but the alarms weren't tripped, so he felt like he was just hearing things and let it go and tries to fall back asleep. <sighs> Stop going back to sleep. I know. But then he notices the double doors in his room that look like they were opening in the wrong direction. Nope. This startles him. And then he sees a small, compact figure, roughly three and a half feet tall, what? with a smooth, so rounded hat on with a sharp rim that jutted out about four inches. So he has like a jaunty hat on? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I wanted, I needed you a minute to like. Like a tiny little Jack the Ripper. Great. The figure was wearing, but it's like metal. (laughs) 
Ew. It's like, they, <laughs> nuts. Why is that your hat? The figure was wearing what he thought was a mask with two dark holes for the eyes and a round dark hole for the mouth. This is okay. If you guys ever watch the movie Communion, so there's you could see the images. You'll see them. It looks like they have these weird alien figures with then masks on top of their faces. And I think this is why, because he's he always mentions these masks, but I think later he realizes that it was just dark in the room, like they weren't wearing masks, like that's their face. Yeah. So it's weird that the movie like does this whole thing because he doesn't really say it like a mask now. He'll be like, I felt like they were just humans wearing masks is what I think he was looking at it like. Well, your brain also is going to like choose the most rational answer. Of course. Your brain's never going to go, it's definitely this thing that you think is fictional. It's always going to explain it in a way that. But yeah, so like the alien, they look ridiculous in the movie because it looks like they're an alien then also wearing an alien mask. (laughs) (laughs) Now I look like another alien. I look like Jeff instead of myself. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, all right then. At least from the images I saw, I didn't watch the whole movie. Don't ever. I'm I'm looking at pictures because I I hate myself. Oh, no. It gets really bad. Doesn't, like, some of them look like they have a mask on, right? Yeah. Their face is, like, two different colors. Yeah. And, like, one of them has, like, a big gaping maw full of teeth. Yeah. What is that? I don't know. I don't know. You guys, I'll never. (laughs) We'll put up those pictures later. Okay. You're going to make this photo sweet. I'm not doing it. All right, so again, the figure was wearing what he thought was a mask with two dark holes for the eyes and then the round dark hole for the mouth. It was wearing a square plate that had uh, that was etched with these, like, concentric circles. The plate stretched from just below the chin to the waist area, and it reminded him of armor. Beneath that was a rectangular appliance of the same material, which covered the lower waist to just above the knees. The figure moved quickly to the side of Whitley's bed and gestured back to the door where a whole bunch of tiny little grayish beings appeared. Uh, These little guys were wearing blue coveralls and a helmet. Whitley could tell that their heads were bald. So I don't know if they were like clear helmets or what. (laughs) I was wearing my clear ass helmet. (laughs) And my Jeff mask. um, I'm too good. What's the squirrel's name in SpongeBob? Oh, Sandy. You remind me of like Sandy. <laughs> Little Sandy's like going a, there. Like a diving yeah. type situation. Yeah. Got it. Whitley then said he stood up and the rows of tiny figures ex- escorted him out of the room, passing him through their little hands. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> he looked back to his wife. Both were terrified. Their little hands. Yeah, she was like awake. They both looked terrified. But Whitley tried to communicate that he had to go with them. He just, like, had this overwhelming feeling that, like, or awareness that he needed to follow these beings and that he would probably return. (laughs) Or maybe. The grayish beings brought him to another room where there was a black cot waiting for him. Nothing good ever happens on the black cot. No. And in the movie, um, it's pretty clear that, like, the white onion faces are actually a mask. And then underneath their face, underneath that mask, they're, like, gray and, like, slobbery yeah. and have big open-jawed mouths. Yeah, it's—I don't know what they he were He doesn't thinking. say that in here, so I don't know. They really ran with it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. And it's Christopher Walken that's in I the know. movie. <laughs> it was okay. a big movie. It's, um, okay. So, he laid on the cot and remembers it feeling like an electric chair strapped in— He was How do you strapped. know what an electric chair feels like, dude? I don't know. 
See, this is where I think his memory is weird because then quickly he's going to be changed. He's going to kind of be more in a in a chair. Okay. So maybe that's what it is. It's just he just feels like he's strapped he knows in like what he it would looks be? like. Yeah. Okay. And there might be some stimulation of some sort happening. In his I don't ass, know. probably. So he's strapped onto the cot. It begins moving and senses that he's like now floating out of the house, off the porch, and then straight up. <sighs> He remembers being cold and then suddenly realizing he was naked and paralyzed. That'll do it. I just imagine he, like, had his PJs on and then got to the cot and oh. it was just like, bam. <laughs> he was like, Whoa. Naked. Yeah. <laughs> so his memory jumps around a bit, and this could be due to, like, blacking out at some points or just, like, the fact that he's getting his memories back so it's still in, like, a dream sequence almost. It's like he just keeps, like, shooting from room to room and, like, falling almost kind of feeling. Yeah. So the cot now felt more like a chair with a Great. place for his head, arms, and legs. Chair cot. He was now in a hole or a crater in the middle of the woods, no. still naked and still not able to move. All he could do was look around with his eyes. He noticed that the woods seemed to have like a grayish tint to them. <sighs> Out of the corner of his eye, he saw a small individual wearing a gray tan bodysuit and sitting on the ground with their knees drawn up and hands clasped around them. Their the being's face had two dark eye holes and a round mouth hole. Whitley felt like it was the face mask again for this one. Immediately on Whitley's right was another figure, this one completely invisible except for an occasional flash of movement. So how did he know it was there if it was Because there would be like this invisible. flat, right? Like that's how he says okay. it weird. So it's like a, but he could see this like flash of movement, like somebody's there just moving. Okay. And this is something he'll deal with a lot, like, um, Later, aliens will keep revisiting him, and they will usually be somewhat invisible. But he'll know they'll make like they'll like touch him, and he'll know that they're there. Remember when I was in your butt? Yeah, that's what they're gonna do. You're very sexual beings. Oh God, I know it's coming. Oh no, <laughs> that was a pun I didn't intend. So this person was working or being was working busily at something that seemed to have to do with the right side of Whitley's head. It wore dark blue coveralls like the ones in his room and was extremely fast. Michael Myers. The small individual on his left was giving him strong feminine vibes. All right. <laughs> he wouldn't get a sense of male or female from many of the other figures, though. This one? Yeah. Lady. <laughs> He asked if he asked her if she was old, and she said yes. I think this is like all telepathically too. Are you old? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> She's like yes. <laughs> Rude. He's a really good flirt. <laughs> <laughs> he says she was as small as the others and appeared almost bored or indifferent. He felt like she was trying to explain something to him, but he didn't understand or at least couldn't remember. The next thing he remembers is being in a messy room like a messy round room that smelt like old cheese. No. Yeah. It looked as though he was in a living space with clothes thrown about on the floor. It's like weird, right? What? what they don't wear clothes in any of the images in the movie. I know. I don't know. I don't know where he was. Okay. <laughs> Michael <laughs> Myers like, was there yeah. in his like, pale face are... mask and coveralls. Yeah. He remembers feeling like death was upon him, but then the panic began to wear off. So they must have, like, done something to calm him. Tiny people were 
<laughs> tiny beings, were now moving around him at great speed. He was seated on a bench leaning against a wall. There was a small person in the room that was wearing tan clothes and had leather-looking skin. Ew. It was a female. It was the female from the hole. Oh, she's old. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Leathery skin. Got yeah. it. He asked her if she— Oh, yeah. I guess I said that already. I'm sorry. He asked if she was old, and she replied yes there, yeah, too. I'm still old. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she pulled out a small gray box that had a sliding lid and showed it to Whitley. He hears her say something about an operation, which clearly freaks him out. <sighs> she opened the box, revealing an extremely shiny, hair-thin needle mounted on a black surface. The needle glistened in the light. He just knew that that needle was going in his brain. <laughs> oh, my God. He tried pleading with her and the other little beings, yelling that the space was filthy and that they will ruin his beautiful mind. He was just like pleading. <laughs> he was afraid he would My turn into a vegetable. Yeah. <laughs> That's when the female sat in front of him and asked if there was anything she could do to ease his mind. He was like, yes. He's like, yeah, let's fuck. It's going to be weird. And of all the things he could have said, he says, you could let me smell you. Mm. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> and so he smelt her, and he described the odor as distinct, part cardboard, part sour, part cinnamon. <laughs> Whoa. But it seemed to anchor him into reality. Can so the smell, smell the smell of them is also something that he will then remember, like, weeks following. Like, he'll get, like, a whiff of something, and that'll, like, create this like memory so that's almost entirely what brings back these memories to him is the fact that he did like use his sense of smell to then like remember that he this was actually something that happened to him oh my god very quickly one of the beings behind him stuck the needle through the back of his head nope it was a very quick like a bing bang in and out pain-free movement no thank you at, the, at that moment, he recalls starting to get some feelings back into his, like, legs and feet, but just enough to, like, wiggle his toes. They're just trying to help him. They're like, I'm going to help you feel your legs and feet again with yeah. this giant needle in your beautiful <laughs> brain. The beings tilted him up, and he realized he was in a different room. It wasn't that messy living room. It looked more like a small operating theater, almost like a classroom. He was at the center of the room on the table, and there were three tiers of benches around him and several huddled figures filling the benches. These figures had round eyes versus the slanted eyes. So now he's in, like, a painting of, like, Victorian surgery. Got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's why it's, like, it's weird. It's, like, weird dream that he's just, like, in and yeah. out. But then also, I feel like if he's in an operating room, like, the because they do everything telepathically with his mind, I almost feel like they're trying to, like, mask where they are. And sometimes mm -hmm. he's able to come out of it and... So you know when he can smell them. Yes, cardboard, sour, and cinnamon, disgusting, <laughs> and old cheese. Ew! And the Le room. Fromage. <laughs> Is Jacques there? It's like a room full of old cheese. Yeah. Oh no. All right. So just to review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At this point, Whitley has seen four different types of figures, mm -hmm. and this is like hard. Like I have to put it in here because. I don't remember him discussing all of these people in the book until he just tells me that he saw these. These are the four. So just so you know, I'm very— I don't feel like his book is super organized. So. It's not very organized. Okay. So 
He details them nicely in the book. The first was the small grayish being wearing what looked like armor that had led the way into Whitley's bedroom, followed by a large group of short, bald, stocky ones in dark blue coveralls. (laughs) They're my favorite. Those are Michael Myers. Pale face, dark eyes, blue coveralls. That's Michael Myers. These had wide faces appearing either dark gray or dark blue in that light with glittering deep set eyes, pug noses, and broad, somewhat human mouths. Pug noses? Yeah. Adorable. (laughs) With somewhat human mouths. Little snorty breathers. Got it. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) We have to take you away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Inside the room, he encountered two types of creatures that did not look at all human, because I guess the other ones did. No! The most provocative of these was about five feet tall, very slender and delicate, with extremely prominent and mesmerizing black slanted eyes. This being had an almost vestigial mouth and nose, meaning that the mouth and nose didn't seem to have much function. Like, that is that was so gross to me. Ew, yeah. Ew! <laughs> Ew! Like they just put holes in it. <laughs> <laughs> just like functionless holes in their head. Like I said, it's mask it's that, like. Yeah, so it just stayed. Yeah, the, so that must be where he feels like they're masked. The huddled figures in the theater were somewhat smaller with similar shaped heads, but round black eyes like large buttons. <sighs> Coraline. Yeah. The stockier figures and coveralls were always present and seemed to be responsible for controlling him. So, like, the bouncers of the situation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're, they remind me of the ones in uh, in Toy Story. Like, the little... Oh. Like, the claw. Yeah, the claw. <laughs> There's just so many of them. Oh, no. And they're just always, like, <laughs> together. <laughs> so, now he found himself back into, like, this messy room again. They just love taking him. I like how they just say messy, but we don't really know what the mess is. It's clothing, but yeah, then— Yeah, it's, like, clothing, like, strewn about. <laughs> yeah, it smells It smells like a frat house. He's in, he's in a frat house. <laughs> <laughs> he probably—he must have just, like, sleptwalked into, like, these college guys that were staying in a cabin nearby, like, their house. Yeah. That's probably what happened. He got accidentally roofied. Yeah. (laughs) So he was still naked and couldn't move. Sounds like hazing to me. Yeah. Uh, The gray stocky beings in the overalls pulled his legs apart, and he was being shown an enormous and extremely ugly object that was gray and scaly with a sort of network of wires on the end. It was at least a foot long and narrow and triangular in structure. That's going right in his butt. And you guessed it. They inserted it right into his rectum. I told you the butt stuff was coming. He described the app, the object swarming into him like it had a life of its own. <sighs> he assumes this was to take samples of his fecal matter. Yeah. Yeah, I would guess. I'd be like, yeah, what you want is some of my poo. Since the book, Whitley has been able to clarify some of his memories more, so the next part is what I can gather from various interviews in his recollection of the hypnosis. As he is being probed, the tiny beings in overalls were trying to open his mouth and put something inside. So, like, this is terrifying because it's just several, like, little tiny hands in his mouth. No, no. 
He struggled to keep them out. Then the female being, the one he felt that old strong one. feminine vibes from. She's like, I'm old. Yeah, I'm an old. You can smell me. Sexy woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> smells like. Cardboard. Cardboard. And cinnamon. <laughs> Could be my next perfume. I was going to say, you should probably make that. Yeah. A little scratch and sniff for our patrons. Yeah. <laughs> so she tries, she confronts him. She tries to relax him again and then and then shows him her penis. <laughs> this obviously was alarming to Whitley, okay. who then started yelling, I thought you were a female. <laughs> you don't know what the females of their species yeah. have. No. Clearly they have big old dicks. Oh. <sighs> Gosh, this poor guy. Okay. I mean, in the hypnosis, he says she put her penis inside him, but in the interviews, he doesn't bring this up again. He only mentions the triangular probe. So I don't know if it's like a confusion of like she showed it to him. And then he also says that he doesn't ever really like touch them. But like I know someone else was like, oh, like he he touched it. But I feel like he always says that he never touches these. He doesn't really know what they feel like. But he knows what they smell like. I hate him. Yeah. (laughs) I just don't like him. So the female then asks him if he can get any harder. Oh, his dick? Yeah. No, she showed him her dick. He's got to show her his. Yeah. That's. And now, so now there's this probe up his butt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got her dick out. Right. (laughs) And. She then asks if he can get any harder. Oh. So it's like, this is where I'm confused, where if she actually did do, like, if she, if he saw a, like, a one of their penises, or if it was just all that probe happening. Also, like, our conception of what a penis is and has there, nothing yeah. to do with a whole totally different animal from right. a different... And maybe he was seeing his, maybe she, I don't know. It's like his recollection is like very strange Maybe here. they just have yeah. external genitalia in their female species. Right. But most of the time he'll say there's like nothing there too. So I don't really know what happened here. But that happened everywhere. in the book and it was very startling. Everywhere and nowhere. Yeah. Just dicks. Mm-hmm. I can't. Okay. So she asked if he can get any harder. This is when Whitley realizes he is. Already? At half mast. <laughs> She asked him again if this is as hard as he could get, to which he replied, a bit annoyed, yeah, I guess. (laughs) And then she asked if there was anything else she could do to make it harder. And she said, uh, and he said, not unless this is a dream. And she's like, yeah, no, this this ain't no dream. (laughs) I mean, she's already up in that ass. Yeah. Find his prostate or whatever. You but can, he was just like, yeah, I, uh, this isn't a moment I can get any harder. I'm actually surprised I'm hard right now. <laughs> I can't. What a weird time. Uh-huh. And Whitley will later say that he thinks that the probe or some other device that they use for people with like erectile dysfunction, like he will he will talk like hard and long about, about this part. Hard and long. Yeah. <laughs> that there was something that was causing him to like, get like to be aroused in that way because he wasn't obviously feeling excited at all <laughs> i but mean something was just making your biology it will do things yeah that's true so the last thing you remember from this encounter is when one of them took uh when one of them took his right hand and made an incision in his forefinger because remember that he right, had that right. one um infection on it and he said he felt no pain And then shortly after he found himself home again, he was naked and cold. His PJs were laying out, so he put those back on. And he climbed into bed with his wife and went to sleep. No. He said his hypnosis, he said in his hypnosis, he could tell at this point that he had already forgotten what had happened to him. Oh, my God. 
All right, so now Whitley has come out of his hypnosis. Dr. Klein is pretty intrigued, but Hopkins is like, jackpot. And Whitley is like, well, shit, how am I going to tell my wife that I was abducted by aliens? I'm fucked eight ways from next Tuesday. I can't. Whitley says in other interviews that it took him several weeks before he finally told his wife she had met Bud Hopkins before, remember the first time, mm-hmm. and she like was like, I, I don't like this guy. No, <laughs> I wouldn't either. Weird. And she just thought that he, I don't know, he just, he was, she was so nervous about this whole thing. Yeah. And then so Whitley for those last several weeks, um, especially like once he figured out, like, I think I was abducted, he started being like almost meaner at home because he was trying to basically get his wife to divorce him because he was just like, I, she's not going to divorce me. And if I get sent to a mental institution, she's going to like live her whole life married to somebody that's like psychotic. Like, no. So this was like his whole thing. He was like being weird. And so finally he just like came out with it and he was just like, Al- aliens got me. And she was just like, I know, dear. I know. No, 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 <laughs> no. And then she was like, all right, we'll deal with this. We'll deal with this. <laughs> So she stuck by his side through everything. I like that he framed himself as a hero in this situation. Good job. She became his editor on the book Communion. She was a big advocate for this book because she wanted her husband's voice to be heard. He was a victim. He had been raped by these things Uh and knew that this story was important to get out. They were aware of other abduction stories, but only like the famous ones. So like they knew the Betty and Barney Hill one, obviously. Everybody knew that. And they obviously had heard about UFO sightings and things like that. But this felt like something completely different to them. They were like, this is highly invasive. I think it was. <laughs> Whitley published, Whitley's publishers wouldn't take the book on and instructed him not to publish it because it would ruin his career. Well. They shopped around till they found someone uh, who believed his story and was eager to get it out. After its release, the book stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for 15 weeks. They received thousands of letters from people who had their own tales of UFO sightings and alien abductions. Whitley and Annie were not expecting to see, like, that many letters. And at this point, there are more than 10,000 letters that they received that have all been archived in their library, uh, which you can go to. And then I think there's also like a book that they published of like some of the letters. After 15 weeks, though, the book plummeted and Whitley's uh, story went from fascinating and terrifying to basically a joke, kind of like what we're doing now. Mm -hmm. And this caused a huge drop in sales. Eventually, the Strybers went bankrupt and had to sell their cabin and move out of their city apartment. Uh, Whitley continued to write some more books, but also continued to write more books on his experiences with the visitors. There's like four or five like that, that go along with the communion. So it was like, Every couple years, he would have, like, these several more experiences to discuss. They wouldn't be like this, but they'd be—it's almost like he got to know these beings better. Okay. And he would, like, meditate with them. and All right. And, yeah. Uh, so he began blogging, doing lectures, and has a fairly successful pod- podcast called Dreamland. Okay. His wife was on those a lot. His experience with the visitors did not start or end in 1985. After talking with his family back in Texas and friends, he realized that he had been visited as a child several times. Mm, I bet he was. The visitors thought he would recognize them uh, when they reappeared in the cabin in October and then on and then in December. So they were like, why are you so startled? You knew what was going to happen. You knew we were going to do all this horrible mm-hmm. shit to you. And your son. 
which they never talk about. No. And I need to, I kept trying to find more information about their son. So I don't know if they were like, we'll just shield him. My cat just came out of nowhere and like rubbed her head on my leg and it was a scary moment. Sorry. <laughs> so after those nights in the cabin, the visitors would reappear, not as aggressive as they had those nights. This time it was more of like a checkup and for him to meditate with them. Right. So from what I understand, uh, when Whitley was abducted, they had said to him that he was the chosen one. Okay. He thought that they were pulling his leg and he was like, he doesn't think that he is their chosen one or anything like that. Um, just like maybe one of the many people that they ch- they chose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he believes that these visitors have a process of who they choose. According to Whitley, he believes that the visitors tend to stick with family lines. So we see a lot, we see a lot of this. Sometimes the families have like a history of abductions and seeing that stuff running through generations. Uh, this could also be like because they have a certain kind of DNA. Whitley also believes that the chosen, the chosen people who aren't uh like they're not prone to violence. So anybody that's not prone to violence or anger or overly opinionated or have like strong feelings that mm-hmm. won't go along with the that that don't fit with the aliens point of view basically what is their point of view i don't know well this is i don't know so mm-hmm. they want someone who is fairly like just calm and just subdued like just not i don't know i guess e- easily influenced yeah he does say uh-huh. that he's just like almost easily influenced in a way he wants them to be intelligent but also like not too smart. <laughs> Basically, he was saying that, okay, so if they went after, if they picked up a scientist that uh, the belief in aliens would completely discredit everything he worked for in his life, then that guy would work really hard to, like, ignore the fact that these aliens existed. Okay. So the aliens then would, or these visitors, are like, well, what's the point of me talking to you? You're not going to get my story out. You're going to try to, like, push me away. I need to go to somebody that is a little bit more open-minded and accepting this so I can tell them what I need to tell them. Okay, but, like, the thing is, what what are they trying to communicate? Well, exactly, because then they're also not communicating to the right people that can get shit done. Or or communicating a single thing. Like, there, there's no message that's out. And also— Well, that's what he's getting these messages, and this is what most of his work is, him trying to get these messages out. And which what is—okay. Okay. So, what of these visitors—why did they choose him, right? Yeah. If you remember, one of the nights they came to him and he saw flashes of the world ending— so on these nights that he would wake up and sense them in the room with him, he would meditate and they would show him more images of what is to come if we don't clean up our act. The visitors okay. are concerned mostly with climate change and war. This is what Whitley will go on to talk a lot about in lectures and on his podcast about how we as a collective need to come together and fix the earth. Otherwise, we are going to go up in flames. He like keeps seeing like everything going to fire. And he he wants a, a cult. Yeah. He wants a cult real bad, and it's, he hasn't successfully gotten one. Yeah. Willie has asked the visitors to show themselves to us so that we can make, so that we can take these matters more seriously, but they refuse, and it doesn't work like that. They want him to be the messenger, and so Whitley tries to get the world, the word out there through his website, unknowncountry.com, and his podcast, Dreamland, and through his books, and he truly believes that visitors are here to help so he gets really frustrated as to why they, like, won't just come out and be like, we're here and this is yeah, what we're doing. Yeah, they needed to, like, communicate something so desperately and they could appear to humans. Right. Or, like, why wouldn't they, they just also, tell them? They also are not explaining why they even care, yeah. too. I, the, I was going to ask that, too. Like, well, what 
what is this? Why are they so invested? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, and Whitley also, Whitley also brings up the possibility that his sperm may have been used to create a hybrid. This is like another like side thing that just uh, pops up. He recalls a day when a visitor showed him a sweet angelic baby and he felt an instant connection to it. Nothing was ever said, uh, said more about this, but it does haunt him that he yeah. just has this like hybrid baby out there. Ew. His wife, Anne, passed away in 2015. In interviews, you can tell how much he misses her. His son, Andrew, works with him on the podcast, I think. I tried real hard to understand what his son does, where he is. Um, I do know that he has, like, a family of his own. And uh, and that's that's the story, basically. <laughs> it's, a, it's a wild ride. But I will, I agree with you on the cult thing where the more I got into the story and, like, and what he has continued to do, um, it sounds very much that's prophet speak. Yeah. Um, and he he does talk about these aliens or visitors as being on a different plane than us. So almost like that fifth dimension kind of style, mm-hmm. like a like a god would be. But much he, like the fucking cult that we talked yeah. about. Mm-hmm. Was that love? The love wins. has won. Love has won. That's exactly yeah. what they talk about, about another yeah. dimension and right. like ascending and all this stuff. But this is more like a, like it's a different plane. So mm-hmm. it's just there's – it's almost like a parallel plane to us and they've learned how to break through. So I don't know if us destroying like the climate change or any of that kind of talk, I don't know if it's – if we destroy our world, mm-hmm. it will then destroy their world or something. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. That's I don't know if that's the point. But it is. It's it's really interesting. And he goes on. And I guess he has these, like, weird meditations with them it, often. And they will, like, this is what I always found weird. It's always so sexual when they come to visit. So he will say that he'll be, like, in his room, in bed. And then he'll, like, wake up and he'll feel something between his legs. That's because that and then shit happened like, to him as a kid. Um, and then... And then he'll be like, oh, my God, like that, you know, obviously that startles you because like something's in between your legs and I don't have an animal in the house. So like what is in between my legs? And then I'll realize there'll be like a little hand that comes up and like touches my balls. And then I'll be like, oh, hi. Hey there, Fred. Like what? Like, Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I- another one came came in and it's like any he, and he mentions it, how sometimes they're like kind of invisible, like they move real fast. So it's they are somewhat invisible. But then you like see little glimpses and. And he doesn't know if that's because of them coming through the plane or something. So it's just spotty. But the another one woke him up by just, like, rubbing his nipples Ew. for him to wake up. And I'm like, why are they so sexual? Because this is a person who, ha- as a kid, had an adult molest them in their sleep. And now they dissociate and they go back to those memories. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I do yeah. not have – I'm not that person. But if just based on the multitudes I've read – Mm-hmm. I, if I had someone was like, gun to your head, what do you think happened to this guy? You have to say something or Abducted you're dead. by aliens. No. This guy has a tra- horribly traumatic past and his brain has done a beautiful job at compartmentalizing it and creating another story so that he doesn't have to deal with the fact that like his dad raped the shit out of him for 10 years. Yeah. That would be my bet. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't, I don't know I, I have no idea. I'm not yeah, going to give him a history, but if they only, gave me this blank thing. that's only because other people in his family haven't, like, he has a brother mm-hmm. that, like, he doesn't suspect something like that. 
I don't know if that happened to him too. I don't know. That but that's they what would. I mean. There's several other people that I don't know would suspect that. I don't know that they but would. But I know what, yeah. Because yeah. a lot of times, like, an adult in mm-hmm. a child's life that does, and it didn't even have to be a parent. Maybe he yeah. had a sleepover at a friend's house. Well, he will talk about, like, his neighbors and other people that, like, know him as a child will say, like, he was very much into, like, UFOs and, and mm-hmm. this kind of stuff as a, as a kid. And then it really stopped, like, once he got into high school where he just, like, didn't care about that stuff for a while. Or when he was old enough that whoever was abusing him didn't want him anymore. Maybe. I don't know that that happened. This yeah. is just me, like, speculating wildly on a mm-hmm. a story. Right. I don't know this guy personally. I don't know what he went through. I could be totally wrong. But what I can say is that I have read other firsthand accounts of people who similar things happen to them. And the most famous will be, like, Sybil, like, people who have dissociative issues where they, like, have quote-unquote, multiple personalities, which is not a term people use anymore, but still, um, they'll create this whole other person. And their their brain will, like, splinter off and be like, okay, that happened to somebody else. Yeah. Happened, it was a different thing that happened to a different person. You didn't even experience it. Mm-hmm. So your brain is very capable of doing something like, nobody you loved or trusted hurted you. Mm-hmm. Hurted you. Hurted you. I can't speak anymore. No one you love or trusted hurt you. An alien came into your room. Yeah. And did this to you. It was, you were totally, you had no control over the situation. You were paralyzed. And it was somebody from another planet. And then, well, also we need to make it so it was like a good thing. So this person was also trying to like help you warn the human race. So what happened to you was good. It was good. You're fine. (sighs) If I had to explain it. That would be my theory. Because you don't want to believe in aliens. Of course I don't want to believe in aliens. But (laughs) also, that makes sense. It does. I know. Uh, I know. But we have no idea. No, we have no idea. And maybe tiny monsters butt raped him for a long time. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing. As a child, I I fully believed all of that stuff happened because I stumbled upon that book in my, my mom's room and read part of it. And it was the scariest thing I've ever encountered in my life. Yeah. Clearly, I'm scarred by it. Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. I can't believe it was Christopher Walken in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, it was a big movie. I know it was a big movie, but I, like, never— I wouldn't watch it. Why would I ever watch it? The the cover of the book is enough to make me, like, vomit and run away. I I can't handle it. I know. I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm so weird about needles. I, like, pass out. I can't—I can't do needles. Possibly. I do. I mean, I do them. Obviously, I got all three right. COVID shots, but like I had to sit in the little tent because I pass out when I get needles. <laughs> right. Yeah, possibly. Could be that. That would make sense. They yeah. talked about the needles a lot. A the lot. There's mm-hmm. a lot of like, mm-hmm. you have no control over your body and we're going to jab you with needles. Yeah. The needles were actually ne- the nicest part. Those were like the, like one just created a big spark and a bang. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> That was like a party needle. And a then party needle. a party needle. Oh, no. And then the other one was just a, he, he was like a bing bang right in right in the back of the head real fast. And oh. then he got his feeling back, so that was nice. That's helpful. And uh, then the other one was just that like little prick on his finger and then he didn't feel any pain from Why that. did they do that? What do they want out of his finger? Well, that was probably like more blood samples or something. Okay. That was my guess. Maybe oh, there's also okay, so years later um, he talks about, in an interview, they mentioned that he thought that he had, like, a tracking device. 
on him. Oh, all right. Yeah. So that also, they might have implanted a tracking device. He probably has, like, bang in 5G. Yeah. You know, I don't think he has it anymore. They extracted it. Sucks. They were like, we don't we don't need to track you anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we know you don't go anywhere. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Also, like, you're older now. We're done. Yeah. We'll find somebody else to put our lady dicks in. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, you were a female. Like, she might be. I don't know. We don't know don't anything know. about their anatomy. We don't know anything about their concept of gender. I Get yeah. out of here. <laughs> we don't know anything about our concept of gender yeah. anymore. Well, like, and that's he not, does, that's he so does weird. say that. He's very clear as being, like, uh, you know, very, we just don't know anything about them. We don't no. know. We don't really know. They don't have the same emotions as us. If they have emotions, they don't have the same genetic structures like it's all very different and it's from these years of like understanding of course and meeting with them privately in his cabin oh my god sell that cabin (laughs) yeah nothing happens nothing good happens on a black cot in a cabin in the woods but the weird thing is that makes me think of it as like a cult is that he does these like because he i mean it's i know meditation is great but he does a lot of meditation and then he has a lot of people come up to the cabin before he had lost yeah. it and, or now in other places. And because I think now he lives in California and they just meditate on on these things. And, and all of them have experiences or some people get like splitting migraines because they're pushing out like the idea of aliens. And that's profit. He speech. has like a, he just, he does always have a reason for something. Sure. And which, which is uh, when I do listen to him, he sounds so soft-spoken. So and then most he, cult yep. leaders. And, uh, and he's very calm. And he just always has a reason for something. And it does sometimes, like, just not make sense if you really listen to what he's saying. And then other times you're like, okay, all right. But, like, most of the time you're like, no. Because I feel I, – so I've listened to three interviews with him, and almost everyone is a little different, which made this story kind of hard to tell. Because I was like, your yeah. book is different than what you're saying now. And then all three of these, you're also saying something completely different. Inconsistencies are hard to judge, too, because a lot of people jump to saying an inconsistency means that you are lying because you can't remember it accurately. But in reality, a lot of times when people don't, if they're like, we're talking about a crime and mm-hmm. someone is asked to recount their experience yeah. a bunch of times and they do it differently every time, it's because— you you just don't remember things with pinpoint accuracy. That's right. not how our brain works. If you if you repeat something the same thing every single time, you have rehearsed it. Yeah. But this is a little different, and mm-hmm. like the differences sound important and bigger, right? Because they're the main story. Yeah, there is main story. Like, so that should be like after a certain time, you should have a way that of, that you tell the story. Yeah. And he doesn't, which sometimes is was actually kind of like you said it. Almost made it sound better, right? Because you were like, "Oh, rehearsed. he's just yeah, he's just talk. He's just an old guy talking about UFOs." And as far as I can tell, and I have not done any research on this case or this man because it all makes me very uncomfortable. But um, I don't think he's hurt anyone. Mm-mm. I don't think he's trying to like. I mean, maybe he's taking these people for a lot of money. I have no idea. No. Okay. No, I don't know. He has his, like, you can subscribe to his site, and it's, like, very inexpensive to just do a monthly fee, really inexpensive for a yearly, for or not even yearly, but, like, for a lifetime subscription Okay. to everything on his page. And you could just tell, like, he's just trying to make something 
But okay. he's not living like an extravagant life or anything. All right. Well, it doesn't sound like he's culting in a bad way. Yeah. He's just kind of like, when he's talking about like climate change and cleaning up the environment, like none of those are bad yeah. things. But I feel like his wife kept him humble. Okay. Good for her. Good yeah. for Anne. Yeah. What a tale. Man. All right. Oh, God. I'm going to so squeamish. <laughs> Toast. Um, I will say to, let me think. Who is my favorite? Who needs it the most? To his son, Andrew. Yeah. For mm-hmm. sure. Who lives in the corner. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lots of little doctor people crawled all over and were like, shh, it's fine. It's fine, Andrew. Cheers to Andrew. Cheers. And I guess his wife, but I, at some point I feel like she was a bit of an enabler. Or maybe not. Maybe she he really needed someone to believe him. You know, Holly, till death do us part. Yeah. So, Dan. Cheers <laughs> to Anne. And to that leathery old lady dick alien. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. <Yeah>. Cheers. <laughs> she sure did smell weird. Yeah. You know what? And she's going to redefine all of our perception of gender. So go ahead with yourself. Yes, girl. All right. Or man. We don't know. We don't know. Or, or it, not none, none of those none things. Of it. That's the thing. We're also casting our cons- our dated concept of mm-hmm. gender on, on something else. Yep. They could have absolutely no concept of that. That could not be a thing in their world whatsoever. And it's less of a thing in ours now than it was in 1985. So it's all very, like, weird to try and pick that apart. And that's what he says that now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a nice thing to say. He has grown. Good for him. I'm glad that he has. Yeah. They don't probe him anymore. He talked to them about that. (laughs) See, like, you have to get out of my butt. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I would say the same thing. Be like, you got to get out of there. You have to. If you need sperm samples, like just I'll we can make it happen a different way. I have other ways of doing it. I can it. just have one saved for you. Like tell me when you're coming back. <laughs> can you imagine? Oh. <laughs> but like that's way easier. They they need to just yeah. chill the fuck out. If they just asked, yeah. I'm sure people would be like, Yeah, I got an endless stream of sperm <laughs> I can just give you. <laughs> It's going to be a lot easier if I do this. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, you don't understand. Yeah. It's like, why don't they ever just go to a sperm bank? Maybe they don't understand that that's what that is. Yeah. I don't know. Why don't they just use their superior mind powers to yank it out of their system? I don't know. It's wild. Yeah. That's a word for it. It is wild. It's like body horror and also kind of porn and also kind of ghost story barn owl situation. Yeah. It's funny that he has the barn owl in there because that is um, a common image that people use. People are like, oh, they think. memory. Oh. They call it a scream memory. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it is a, that image is something common that people say they have misconstrued for an alien. Yep. And it's also in the the um the stairwell. Is that the name of that documentary? I forget the name of the man right now because I'm so the aliens have taken know. my whole brain. Where he like his wife died in a fall down the stairs. He had like two wives, and it's pretty pretty sure he pushed him down the stairs. And then he was like, But it was an owl, an owl flew in the house and scared my wife, and she fell down the stairs. 
I don't know this one. You've not seen that? It's a no. crazy Netflix documentary. No. This, the case is absolutely nuts. Everybody listening is yelling at you right now because it's a real famous one. I don't one. watch these things, okay. remember? Like, because that's why I'm here. You're the one that has told me about a couple of them, though. Uh, the stair, stairwell, stairway, I can't remember. The staircase. Sorry, you guys. It's, a, it's late. I've seen the photo. Yeah. His name is Michael Peterson. Okay. That's this guy's name. Uh, and I'm sure you all knew that because this is one of the most famous true crime cases because of the Netflix documentary. And it is wild. Maybe we'll mm. cover that one soon. Okay. It's bananas. But he at one point, they're like, we think maybe it was an owl. <laughs> 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 all right. That is also a theory. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Poor owls. Two owls. Two owls. Trying to take the blame. Poor things. They didn't do nothing. Didn't. And if we woke up naked on a cold lab table surrounded by tiny gray creatures in overalls, we We would would be be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. They're not cute. They're just ugly yeah. and skinny and terrifying. I hate them. <laughs>